Hi, this is Ryan from Ready Rhino One, and I want to do a quick podcast. Well, I mean, not a quick podcast. I mean, quickly start it, but uh, maybe it'll go a little bit longer than what you would think be a quick podcast. Um, I haven't done a podcast in some time. I've uh, just been dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, work got really kind of crazy, and then the holidays are starting up, and, you know, we kind of, my family does things a little bit differently, and that we kind of celebrate things a little earlier than that um, than the actual day. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about um, something that I, a project that I had done uh, a couple of years ago. This was a file server. So originally I had, uh, I think, one of my old uh, desktops. I had just kind of loaded with a bunch of disks, right? And then shared them uh, just with Samba or something. And it, it was nothing really special, but it was something to just, you know, like, we can put stuff on them and that way they're somewhere else, you know, not necessarily on our local machines. I started to get into thinking like, you know, I'm running this thing all the time and it's not really giving me a lot, right? And there's no scalability with it per se. I mean, all I can really do is just add some more disks. And um, there's really not a lot of fault tolerance with it either. And, you know, if the house were to burn down, we kind of lose a lot of stuff. And then we were also up against um, the fact that we were just running out of space, right? So I had bought a couple of uh, external hard drives that we were just kind of putting family pictures on. Uh, this, again, was not really a safe thing. So I had this like process set up where you know you would empty the phone of family pictures that we'd taken over the course of a week couple weeks or whatever and then you would put them onto uh, your local machine and then you'd copy them over onto the um the external hard drives uh, and then you would take uh that you'd start trying to burn them onto dvds and we we're going to hold on to dvds this still didn't uh solve the f uh, problem of having you know an off-site backup so there's the um the three, two, one of, uh, of, of backups that you're supposed to follow. So you want backups, um, in three different places across two different mediums and one offsite, right? Three, two, one. Uh, and I wasn't accomplishing that. And so that was kind of a, a little bit embarrassing, you know, being someone who, um, has a, you know, a computer system background, that kind of thing. And my, you know, my job kind of deals with that a lot. I wasn't really doing that personally, um, which kind of goes back to the old adage, the mechanics car is the worst one. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, so I decided like, you know, I really need to bite the bullet on this one because we were amassing a, a, a decent amount of family pictures and it simply was not going to scale. Um, and I had, I had come across a couple of horror stories, you know, of people who had all their family pictures on like a, a on an external hard drive and they lost the hard drive. It just died, you know, cause I mean, really a lot of these uh, external hard drives are just a single drive. Sometimes, um, you can actually buy some where they'll have two drives inside the external closure and there's like a really simple uh, RAID um, configuration, which is a redundant array of independent disks, I think. I, I feel like I should know this, but I'm, I'm not really a storage guy too much. So um, anyways, you would, ha you would have two different drives that basically mirror each other. And so that if one drive dies, then you still have everything on the other one. So there is some fault tolerancy there. It's not the best. Um, and I'm not really sure like if... With those with those kind of external drives, I think it I think it should, but maybe it doesn't. Um, like if if you did have a drive failure, you should be able to pull that one out, the bad one out, and put a new one in, and then it will resilver the the mirror configuration. Um, resilver for those who don't know, it's a it's an older term. Um, mirrors, actual mirrors that you would use to look at your own reflection, used to be backed by silver, right? So they would take glass and overlay it with a silver thing. And so over time, if you if you ever go to an antique shop, you'll see if you ever find an old mirror, you'll see the backing starts to kind of come off. I don't think they use silver anymore for modern mirrors, 
but the, you could see the the silver start to kind of peel away from the and of course of course it doesn't become very reflective at that point and so there was a method to what was called resilvering a mirror um, to make it back into an effective 100% reflective um, surface so they they kind of borrow the same term when dealing with mirrored arrays of drives right so you just have two drives that mirror each other and if if one dies the mirror is not really accomplishing what it was originally set out to do and so there's a process called resilvering or just you know rebuilding your mirror you just kind of put a new drive in and it'll copy everything from the existing um drive that didn't die and over onto the new one and so that way you're back into protection so um a little bit of a rabbit trail so anyways i had decided that i needed to actually get a um a legitimate you know file server set up something that could that could hold a, a, a ton of images something that could well a ton of data something that could you know had a lot of fault tolerancy and just kind of gave me some additional uh protections um uh with with things and so i had played around with um a a free um a free file server operating system. It's called FreeNAS, or F-R-E-E-N-A-S, and NAS is Network Att Attached Storage. So you know, FreeNAS. Now I think it, it's the uh, they've kind of um, sunsetted FreeNAS, and now they're kind of moving to TrueNAS. Um, and the people that uh, make that IX systems, I think they were actually running like TrueNAS, which is like an enterprise offering that they did sell. I'm not really sure how the licensing worked. It being open source software. Um, I think they, they built it on top of FreeBSD, I think is what they did. Uh, and then they kind of modified it to, to specifically work as a, as a NAS uh, type server. But anyways, they, so IX Systems has like TrueNAS and FreeNAS, and they just decided to sunset uh, FreeNAS and just kind of roll it up into like TrueNAS Core, and like, then the TrueNAS is still their enterprise thing, and they kind of do different features for that. Um, a lot of the features are things that I think most people aren't going to use unless you're a hobbyist. Um, uh, mostly to do with high availability and failover of the of file servers and that kind of thing. That kind of gets into some craziness. Um, it's to me, it's very interesting, but I don't want to get too far off topic. So I, I'm, I was I wanted to use FreeNAS. I had used it as as for my file server that I had before, which was just a couple of disks and stuff, and it really wasn't that that big of a deal. Anyways, I really wanted to make something that was very worthwhile, something that I could, you know, seriously uh, use. Um, and so I decided to kind of go that route. Now, I had um, previously purchased a actual server rack. Um, I think it was StarTech, um, one of those actual like server racks that I have it out in my garage. And I had um, two um, Dell R710s uh, racked into it um, that I've been kind of playing around with as, as just servers. Um, uh, trying out different <laughs> Linux distros and things like that, ESXi and whatever's free. So um, this was perfect. I was just going to basically uh, put this, uh, you know, this file server in there. I was going to rack it in. And so I, I kind of, so for this podcast, I wanted to kind of talk through a little bit of my configuration from the hardware standpoint and kind of what I did to kind of um, build all this. Um, so in terms of hardware, what I decided to use, um, I found, um, a server, a 4U rack chassis, um, basically a server case, uh, from Rosewill. It was something I found on, uh, it's probably not the best. Um, but I mean, actually it, it, for me, it worked out pretty well, right? So, um, when I say 4U, um, I'm talking about the, uh, vertical, um, size of these things. Um, so on a server rack, you, you have like, you know, um, 
every screw set uh, in the rack, which is your vertical real estate, um, is one U a piece. And so like the Delar 710s are two U, so they take up um, two screws, two screw uh, slots, right? So I've got, you know, four total. Um, that's how that's how big they are and so all the servers kind of conform to this so that you can easily um, add more servers you can calculate right so if you have a total of like 32 or 36 um, u slots um, in your in your unit slots in your in your server rack then you know i can break this up with like fours twos ones and that kind of thing um the four u's are like probably one of the fattest ones i'm sure there's probably bigger ones i'm not really sure what they would be for um, but so you can rack a bunch of different things. So you can rack um, smart UPS um, units in there. You can rack servers. You can rack um, networking equipment. A lot of networking equipment tends to be very thin, so they're about one U a piece sometimes. Um, power supplies could be a little bit bigger and that kind of thing. So this is a four U. It takes up four unit slots on the rack. Um, but this is fine because uh, I wanted uh, enough room to be able to fit drives vertically. Um, into it and that's just for ease of access and so what I picked up was um, this thing uh, has uh, the, the case itself had uh, several um, what are uh, five and a quarter slots so um, if you're if you ever built a machine or you can even look on your on your current um, desktop machine if if you have one or if you're working on a laptop you probably you won't have something like this but I'm sure most of you have probably seen like a DVD drive um, that's in your your desktop, whatever. So that that takes up a what's called a five and a quarter bay. Um, and this is a this is a, a callback to <laughs> when um, when the older older times when we had uh, when we were when we all had these cases. You had what are uh, five and a quarter inch uh, floppy drives. Um, these are those big um, black uh, floppy um discs that you would put in a barely called discs. I mean they were you could actually bend these things and they would you would slot them in and you know pull down a handle to lock it in place and that way it would read it from there. So these bays uh, became standard five and a quarter bays. And so a lot of things will fit in uh to five and a quarter bays. Mostly when you're you're dealing with um like DVD drives or some kind of disc drives. Um the hard drives tend to be about two and a half inches um in size and they, so they uh, some cases actually have smaller uh, slots for that. Uh, but anyway, so I had found um, from ICDOC, I-C-Y-D-O-C-K, ICDOC, they had these um, these drive bays that were a little special, right? So they, uh, they would expose like eight different two and a half inch slots for hard drives. Um, and they would actually implement a backplane um, in the drive bay itself. Uh, a backplane is something where you can like plug hard drives into very easily and it kind of interfaces with whatever else is interfacing with the drives and kind of puts a little middleman in between and can actually maintain that there's a slot kind of open. And it's for hot swappable, right? So you don't have to shut the machine down um, in order to pull a drive. So you can just pull a drive while the machine is um, is still active. This is what's called hot swap. And then you can push a new drive into that same slot. And the backplane kind of maintains that connection and ensures that the um, computer that's interfacing with it can still kind of, um, it doesn't it doesn't get all messed up or interrupted. So anyways, this takes up uh, a five and a quarter inch uh, bay. Um, and actually this one takes up three of them, I think. Two or three of them in order to provide eight uh, two and a half inch slots. Um, I guess that makes sense, right? So eight times 16 and some change and then 15. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something like that. Um, 
So yeah, I think it takes up all three. So anyway, this case has, you know, three five and a quarter inch bays on one side and another three five and a quarter inch bays on the other side. And so I bought, you know, two of these things and slotted both of them in. And so these bays, of course, have um, connections for uh, SATA cables, which is how um, a lot of hard drives now kind of interface with your computer. Um, so you just kind of, you know, you, you plug in these drives or you just attach them inside your case and you plug into SATA cables uh, for power and for data. And so what this, uh, this icy dock bay does is you kind of just plug in um, a couple of power, SATA power um, connections into it and then several uh, SATA data connections into the, uh, the bay chassis or whatever itself. And then it handles any hard drive that's plugged into it up to eight. Um, so anyways, I bought two of these things, and when I got the chassis, you know, just kind of installed both of them, took up all, all of the five and a quarter inch bays, and so I had these things where I, you know, I had about um, 16 openings that I could just, like, you know, shove uh, drives into. Um, and so the next thing is, um, this is a lot of drives, right, and there's not a whole lot of motherboards uh, that are, or main boards that are going to be able to have enough slots to actually get all this. A lot of times they'll have... Um, like two different RAID controllers or some kind of like disc controllers and they offer like four each So you got eight total there and then you got two more maybe that are just specifically for boot drives or something like that And there's those additional two. So you've got like 10 total. Well, I'm looking at getting a bunch of drives in here uh, I was actually looking at getting um, 10 different drives so I could have done this um, just through the main board But I wanted to be able to scale right I wanted additional space to be able to slot different things in um, so what I ended up having to do is, um, you know, plus for performance reasons, um, I wanted to add what are called, um, uh, SAS cards. Um, I don't want to get too technical with some of this stuff because I think a lot of people might be, who might be listening to this podcast really don't care, but some people might. So I, I chose, um, two, um, SAS cards. LSI is the, is the brand, um, and they're 9211, um, 8i, 8 port, uh, 6 gigabyte, gigabyte SATA SAS PCIe 2.0 uh, cards. Now these are a little bit different. Um, most people probably haven't seen these. Um, people who build um, servers um, definitely have seen these and may have even not even use them. They might be going for like a PERT controller or some other kind of RAID controller uh, for some more higher end uh, applications. Um, but this one actually did uh, pretty well. It was, um, it was affordable um, and it did exactly what I wanted it to do. Um, so what these LSI SAS cards uh, do is they, they expose um, SAS connections. These, each card has two ports, um, and these SAS connections are pretty high bandwidth um, uh, connectors. And so you couple this with what are called SAS breakout cables. Um, the breakout cables basically have a single SAS connector, and they break out into four individual uh, SATA data connections. So with, an, with a single LSI uh, card, I um, gave myself uh, essentially um, eight um, SATA connections on a single card. And with two cards, I have 16 uh, SATA connections. Um, so I could, you know, wire up <laughs> 16 drives um, on, this, on this thing by itself. Now you can, there are other um, SAS cards that offer like four SAS ports, right? So you can get like um, 16 on a single card, 32 um, on, on two cards. Um, and some of the main boards offer you additional PCI Express um, slots. So you can continue to get more. Um, I have seen 
uh, uh, I was going to say, I don't think, uh, uh, so there are things called JBot arrays. Um, there's <laughs> big boxes where you just kind of slot in um, drives vertically into these things, and they're pretty deep um, in terms of when they go into the rack. Um, and those you can get to like 64 plus um, like drives. Uh, JBOD is J-B-O-D, just a bunch of disks. Um, those are a little bit more advanced. Um, that would cost a lot more, and it's really for like SAN um, or storage array networks. Like those are some more advanced storage um, engineering uh, solutions. I didn't. I, mean, I would have loved to have been doing something like that, but there was no way um, I was going to get into that. Um, that gets a little crazy. You actually have two different servers. You have a JBot array, which is its own kind of box that handles like fiber connections, all sorts of crazy stuff. So you can fail over to other JBot boxes, and then you've got um, SAN heads or individual servers that kind of um, talk with each other for failover purposes and replication and all sorts of crazy stuff. That was beyond the scope of what I was trying to do. So I just have this, um, you know, main board. I had, an, uh, I think, a, an Intel i3 um, CPU slotted in, 16 gigs of RAM, um, a, a 250 gigabyte SSD, which I was going to boot um, the free NAS operating system off of, 500 watt power supply to kind of, you know, power everything. And this was all sitting inside of a uh, this 4U server rack. So I had the ability for 16 of these things. And so I um, I had one card's breakout cable went into four of the slots on the one dock, and its other four went to the other dock, and then the other card did the same thing. So that way, each card had access to either backplane. And this kind of, you know, just in case something died, I still, <clears throat> if the card died, I still had access to both backplanes. Um, and that was kind of, that was the purpose of that to kind of give some, not redundancy. Well, I mean, there's technically redundancy with the two, but just, you know, fault tolerance in case, like I said, if, if one of those LSI cards were just burn out or die, um, the other LSI card still is able to deal with, um, some of the rest of the discs. And so I also made sure I split the discs across all that so that, you know, they were going across both cards. Um, and I tested some of this, you know, to make sure that if I were to lose a card, um, you know, I, I I think I just pulled the plug on one, not, I didn't pull the card out, but like pulled the SAS connector out um, to simulate a card failure. Um, and everything worked out pretty well with that. So anyways, I, I have um, the, this configuration. So I bought um, six drives um, that were about four terabytes a piece, but you know, because of formatting um, and parity with the RAID um, array or with the, with the RAID configuration, it came out to about 3.64 uh, terab terabytes per drive. Um, and then for the second array, um, I had four drives that were both uh, three terabytes, so 2.73 each. Um, and the, and the, the reason I had this was I had bought six new drives that were four terabytes, and I had four 2.73 terabyte drives left over from my previous file server that I was running. And so I put these um, into um, these arrays. Now, the way it's set up, um, like with the six uh, drives, um, I have them in what's called a ZFS pool um, or ZFS pool. And this is something that FreeNAS um, supports and I believe even recommends. Yeah, it recommends that. Um, ZFS is a pretty cool little thing. Um, I, I, storage people are probably going to kind of balk at that and they probably have other ideas on what they think are much better. But for, I mean, I, I feel like... It's certainly good enough, you know, for like a personal uh, file server to just go with a ZFS uh, type thing. 
And so what I did was I had, um, of the six drives, five of them are actually in a pool configuration, and the sixth drive is set up as a hot spare. So the idea here is that if any one of the five were to die, like completely die, the hot spare would be brought on board instantly um, to kind of uh, take over. And now that buys me time uh, to pull the dead drive and replace it with a new one. Now with a five disc ZFS pool, I think I did Z, ZFS two. So there's different ZFS uh, pool configurations. There's like ZFS one, ZFS two, ZFS three. I think I did two on this uh, this bigger one. So that means I can lose two of the five drives and it, the whole volume itself is still intact because of how it does parity across the other drives. All right, so you can lose, you, in this case, I can lose a drive or lose a second drive and it can technically rebuild that drive if you replace it with something. In this case, I have a hot spare that will take over one drive and that gives me enough time. Like, okay, I gotta buy and get another drive in here. So I can replace that one and I can lose even a second one. I still, you know, it's still buying me time. Um, that would not be great. If I, if I lost three drives, I would lose the entire volume. Um, so I did the exact same thing with the second one, only this one's a ZF, uh, ZFS one, I think. I didn't, wasn't able to do two because I only had the four drives. So I made it to where I can only lose one drive, but I've got a hot spare in there as well. So if I lose one drive, the hot spare comes online. If I lose another drive, then I'm still good. Um, but I can't afford to lose a third drive. Um, that hot spare is kind of what's keeping everything alive <laughs> until I can get a replacement. Um, so that's the drive configuration. On the bigger um, volume, I have 9.32 terabytes. Um, you know, so if I had like five, four terabytes, you'd think I would have 20 or 19-ish uh, terabytes to work with, but I'm sacrificing um, a lot of that capacity and volume uh, to give me fault tolerance. Um, in the entire thing so that's I'm kind of that's what I'm really kind of concerned about um besides uh 9.32 terabytes is an is a, is a decent amount uh and so you know my family's been putting a ton of like family pictures onto this and I'm, I'm comfortable with the fault tolerance I can lose you know two discs even a third technically with the hot spare kind of making up for that little bit of a difference and I still keep all my family pictures um, now this still isn't enough, um, so you know we still keep things on the external drive as a kind of a backup. So things get pulled off the phone, they get copied, to, they get pulled off the phone um, onto the external drive, and then everything's copied up onto the file server um, where it's you know protected there. So these have two different mediums. I think when they talk about mediums, though, they're like you know not everything on a single like hard drives, right? You want like tape maybe, um, or you want um something else like a dvd that would be the second type of medium um, i think it's okay though um, just that it's in you know a couple different places i feel pretty comfortable with it being on the server especially with the with the raid with what essentially amounts to a raid array the cfs pool kind of protecting things the other volume is about 4.92 terabytes total um, and that's really just for the media server right so i've got got a bunch of dvds and we found that we were like not really watching a lot of them we kind of want to but it's like oh we got to turn on the dvd player and then we gotta you know go fish this thing out of a chest or out of a drawer somewhere and then we got to put the disc in we got to kind of run it's like this is like very not very not very convenient especially we've been spoiled with netflix and that kind of thing and so um we uh i i use an mb server i run that and it you know, is looking at this 4.92 terabyte volume. And that's where I, I basically took all the DVDs and I started like making like digital backups for myself. 
and no one else in uh, no one else has access to our MB server. It's a very much a local uh, thing, so it's just for our family. Um, but it makes it a lot easier because the MB interface looks like Netflix, and so I can just kind of we can just you know wrap very easily just pick out a movie off of that. And we got a lot of movies on there, just our DVDs. Um, I'm very I don't really like getting rid of DVDs unless you know we, you know, we just we never watch this thing right. So then we we put them in a yard sale and I delete them off the server. Um, that way I don't forget, and then we sell them. Um, but it's super convenient to have them on there. We can't. I don't really do that with the with the Blu-rays. Um, Blu-rays are far more protected. Um, I just don't bother. No, we don't have a ton of Blu-rays, so we just kind of keep them in the cabinet. Um, I'd like to get those on there, but it's just a little more involved. So, anyways, uh, going back to the whole three, two, one of backups. So three different places, two different mediums, one off-site. One of the cool things and one of my favorite things about this free NAS setup is that we have um, what's called um, uh, cloud sync tasks is something that FreeNAS uh, offers. And so what you do is you can get like an, uh, an AWS um, account um, or an, I think you can do an Azure account. Uh, they also um, interface with Backblaze. So um, I picked up a Backblaze account, paid account, created two buckets. Um, one for, for my file share and one for my, my wife's uh, file share. Um, and so I have uh, what amounts to offsite backup, right? So we put a bunch of stuff on there and then like uh, every single evening um, around like 2 a.m. I think um, an rsync task runs that will just like recursively run through the uh, folder structures of whatever, you know, share that you told it to point to. And it will take everything that was added and it will synchronize it up to, um, in this case, Backblaze. And so this gives us our offsite backup. So at the end of the whole thing, we have this uh, really cool setup where, you know, putting stuff on the server is pretty fault tolerant. You can lose a disk or two and everything still just runs and I can replace it and all that kind of good stuff. But if the whole house were to get cratered for some reason and we lost everything here, um, I could still technically pull everything down from Backblaze. Oh, I think that it, it costs more. I think where they make their money, well, where they will, where they could make their money is when you pull stuff back down, right? Um, uploading stuff, they, you know, they, they charge you to hold it, and I don't think they charge you for uploading it. Um, I don't really know. I pay like a couple of bucks a month um, just for having this Backblaze account with like multiple terabytes of family pictures up on it, so I think it's okay. Um, but you know, it, it works out pretty well. We have that kind of backup. So if, if something bad were to happen, like I said, you know, the house disappears or whatever, you know, I could get everything back up to uh, back up and I can just say like, Hey, synchronize with my backblaze account and it just pulls all that stuff back down. Then we have all our pictures, um, back down locally. Um, so I, I've been pretty pleased with it so far. Um, and FreeNAS also offers some other things too. Um, you know, when you, with the, with the file shares, you can put stuff on there and it will actually like look at, um, uh, the files themselves, not look at the data per se, but like, um, look for ways of compressing things. It's called, um, it, so it does compression LZ4, um, compression. So like if you put like a text document up there, um, text tends to very easily be compressed. Um, cause there's a lot of like repeating data, like, you know, just individual characters get repeated, like in a document, you know, how many A's are there? How many B's are there? How many C's are there? And it kind of compresses them all down. Uh, I'm not familiar with the actual compression algorithms that it implements. It, it says LZ4, right? Um, yeah, it says LZ4. 
um, compression. So it's not something like a Huffman compression. I, I think we maybe moved on towards a modified version of that. I'm not really sure, but they it implements this compression. So like, you know, the whereas the files might be like, let's say they're like, you know, 20 gigs in size of all these different files, the compression might be able to bring that down to like 18 or 17, depending on the type of data. Like JPEG data or image data tends to already be compressed um, fairly well. So it doesn't really get a lot out of that. It's mostly like text, I think. Um, I could be every well could be wrong. There's also deduping um, stuff, which doesn't really make um, that's not really a thing um, for us uh, because we're not doing a lot of duplicate stuff. If you were in a more corporate network, there's probably a lot of people that are storing uh, similar documents, similar whatever on there. And so um, in a bigger corporate network, we have a lot of people and there's a very good chance that there's some duplicate files being put on there. Um, the dedupe thing will actually look for that kind of stuff and, you know, not store it twice um which is interesting i think there's some other stuff too like if there's like patterns of bits that can that are that are similar i think it might do something like that but i'm not really sure that that goes beyond well beyond my pay grade um so anyways i have this really um cool file server um i think in, in total it was close to about fourteen hundred dollars i think uh, the discs were really expensive i mean uh, the case itself i think was like a hundred bucks and the cards were like 60 bucks a piece and you know, like that really wasn't one of the expense. The expense was the discs. Um, they were about a, a hundred plus each and getting six of them give it about 700 some odd dollars. And, um, which is everything else. Like it all, by the end of it all, it, I, maybe it wasn't 50, it wasn't like 1400. I think it was, it was definitely over a thousand though. Um, when it was all said and done, but very happy with it. It's lasted a couple of years. Um, FreeNAS does a pretty good job of uh, interfacing with the hard drives using SMART or SMART um, to kind of um, check on the disk diagnostics, make sure everything's healthy, that there's no like big issues. Um, and it kind of, you know, keeps me apprised of what's going on. It can email you if there's alerts and that kind of stuff. So I, I check it on a regular anyway. So just to make sure everything's going uh, smoothly, they don't have they don't have a dead disk and I have to go and replace it. Um, so I've been pretty happy with it. Um, <clears throat> um, no, no complaints, you know, been very pleased. Um, it's done a really good job, plenty of space. I don't really see myself <clears throat> having to increase it. And I could, you know, like if I needed to increase it, I can like, I would probably take the hot spare out and put something else in it, a bigger disc in its place. And then, you know, deactivate a disc and tell it to use that, that spare and then replace the disc. I just deactivate, just kind of do a rinse and repeat until every disc in the, in the pool, the ZFS pool has been replaced. And then you, once you, that happens, you can go into the pool and then resize it to make it bigger and then let it do its thing to kind of rebalance uh, everything it's doing. So there's a very, is a, it's a, a fairly easy path forward, um, in order to, um, increase the size of the pool if you need it. Um, but right now I think these four terabyte drives in there is like, I've got about, you know, 9.32 terabytes of total space. I'm, I'm not even, not even close to using half of it right now. So I think I got a, a ways to go. Um, the discs might die before I reach its, you know, its full capacity. Um, but when the disc die, I'll probably dump in something that's slightly bigger, you know, might as well. Um, depends on the cost though. I mean, I guess I could buy more four terabyte drives, but those are a little older. So I want something a little bit newer, um, you know, cause you know, some of this hardware does tend to break down just by even sitting there. So I'd like to get something a little bit bigger as, as the discs die, but they haven't yet. But then again, I'm not really, this thing isn't like being used a lot. So like in a corporate setting, the, the discs are just like constantly moving. You have to worry about 
not just disc temperatures, but disc acoustics, right? So the spinning drives themselves produce um, these acoustic vibrations and neighboring drives and can cause the drives to actually, the platters to actually vibrate um, irregularly and it can cause some slowdown issues, it can cause some potential damage. And so there's a lot that goes into that. Um, storage engineering is actually, it, to me, it's it's really cool to read about. And I, I love talking to people about it, but it's not something I feel I have a knack for necessarily. I think I have just enough to do, you know, <laughs> stuff for personal reasons, but I really appreciate um, people who, who do get into that and are really good at it. It's always fun to talk to them and kind of pick their brain about different things. And I don't know, just really appreciate people like that. So that's my file server thing, uh, or my file server stuff that I have at my house. Um, been pretty pleased with it, like I said. Um, so, you know, this is kind of one to talk to you all about that um, in case you were interested in building your own. It's not too bad. Um, yeah, you know, I did a little bit more of a professional setup for mine, just for what I intend to do, but you most likely could just get like a regular can get a regular desktop um that can just sit somewhere and you can get like an ic dock um that will do you don't have to do eight I mean, you can do like four or something like that four uh four drives and a five and a quarter bay or it takes up two or three um so you can very easily kind of make your own just you know maybe it does maybe you can't get a couple different arrays but you can at least get one um just even having like a, a set of like three or four discs that you know support this would be more than enough to protect your your family pictures and then setting up um, a, a cloud sync task to put that stuff into an AWS S3 bucket or maybe a Backblaze bucket. Um, it's up to you. Um, I just think it's worth it for sure to kind of have that uh, that set up um, just to kind of keep your family stuff, uh, your family pictures safe. Um, I would really hate to hear someone lose all of their family pictures to an external hard drive that you know just failed. Um, so if you haven't done that, I know it's not cheap, um, but it's definitely worth it. Um, if you can't afford that though, I, I invite you to at least do like, you know, burn stuff to DVD and keep it in a fireproof safe. And that's eh, a little bit more work, but it's definitely a lot cheaper. You know, just buy an external hard drive at about a hundred bucks. Um, then just buy a spindle of DVDs, and just start burning stuff. Right. And then you just start, um, keeping them, you know, maybe every year or every couple months, just like burn a bunch of stuff onto DVDs, and just keep them in a safe. Um, so that's all I've got. Um, um, this will be posted on my uh, Anchor um, FM uh, channel, which goes out to a bunch of other podcast servicers. And then it'll also be posted on my YouTube channel, Ready Rhino One. Um, so if you want to ask any questions, then, you know, leave a comment, uh, like, and subscribe. Um, I'd love to hear from you um, and definitely interact with you and get, answer some questions if you have any uh, about setting up your own file server. So I hope you all have a great day and I hope you'll tune in next time. Bye.